Welcome back to the Space Castle, our clubhouse and yours for all things nerdy. I'm Alex. I'm DT. And I am Seth. And I want to talk to you about video games. Hey. Yeah. Let's do it. It's been too long. We've waited, what, this is our sixth episode? We've waited a long time to talk about video games. It's six episodes too many, to be honest. We're the worst nerds ever. We really are. Yeah, it's terrible. What are we doing? I think it's about time. So I, I, I want to, I don't want to talk about the mainstream games. I don't want to talk about the games you can't stop playing. I want to talk about the games that you started playing and were formative for you. Like, what was it that first got you hooked into gaming and or just completely changed the way that you operate as far as video games go? Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I've got one in mind. Rip it, dude. It's a game I think about all the time. Anytime somebody asks me this question, I'm like, I know the answer. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Um, so, so my game is uh, it's from Codemasters, which is a developer who is never really A-list, but was always kind of there. And uh, the game is called Severance, colon, Blade of Darkness. And it's an action <laughs> RPG that came out in 2001. It was like, the, it was like, it was like spring of 2001. And uh, it's an action RPG. And what sets it apart is both the, the tone and the atmosphere of the game, and also the fact that it was super fucking violent. And uh, part of the, the main mechanics of the fighting was the fact that you could actually sever limbs, sever heads, sever legs. Whoa. And in some cases, the enemy would still be alive. So you could be in a situation where you'd be walking down a corridor and an orc would jump out and attack you. If you hit him just right, you can sever his arm, pick up that arm, and beat him to death with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So it was one of those games that it, it, it never really caught on. Um, most people attribute it to just bad marketing. It just never really had like a good marketing campaign behind it. It's glitchy, it's janky, it's not an A-list title, but it was super, super influential to me because uh, it had so much potential and there was so much there that the developers were trying to accomplish and so much that kind of set the tone for action RPGs that came after it. Like I said, it was super atmospheric and it was kind of Skyrim before Skyrim was Skyrim, if that makes sense. Whoa, that's a statement. Whoa, yeah. The atmosphere of the game was just super, super moody, like uh, like actual real-time shadows, which I don't think I had seen in video games up to that point. Like foggy, like forests and dark lighting and just mm. deep, moody music. And like <laughs> you would walk down a corridor of like a castle or like turn a corridor in like a, like a little like a, like a canyon. And there would be like a just a silhouette of a big fucking orc standing there. And you knew you were probably going to get your ass beat. Like it would be a hard-fought <laughs> battle because the game was fucking difficult. But you turn that corner and you'd be like, oh, shit, do I have a good enough weapon for this? Like, do I have enough health potions? Like, am I going to survive this shit? Oh. And chances are you would not because that was just the type of game it was. But it was it was nerve-wracking as shit. It was almost like playing a horror game because you didn't know what was going to jump out at you. And you didn't know if you're going to win because it was purely luck. Just like real combat, honestly. Like major Doom vibes? But, like Yeah, yeah. Like super dark, super violent, super scary. And the multiplayer was dope as shit, too, because uh, it came out t in 2001, and I think I was probably, I want to say a junior or senior in high school at that time. And uh, for whatever reason, all my friends found this game. I think we found it at Fry's Electronics. Like, one of us bought it, and <laughs> one of us was, like, fucking around with it at a land party. We're like, what the hell is that? Oh, it's Severance, Blade of Darkness. Oh, I've never fucking heard of that. Like, where can I get it? I don't know, Fry's. <laughs> so it became one of our mainstays at land parties. Um, and uh, we would play the multiplayer because the multiplayer was just as intense. It was almost like a, like a hyped up version of Bushido Blade where like, again, you can sever each other's limbs and, and heads and legs. And like, if you lost an arm, you were still able to keep fighting until you bled out and died. <laughs> so awesome. there, might be, yeah, there might be cases where like you, you're like swinging at an enemy or like your opponent, like across the table. He would sever your arm, you would lose your sword. You'd have to pick up the sword with the other hand and try and keep fighting, but you'd be hindered. Or sometimes a fight would outright just end with like a, a beheading. Like it was it was a grab bag of whatever could possibly happen at any moment. And it was super, super fun. Wow. Just yeah. a flash. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it was formative to me because it was it was a promise of things to come in the genre of action RPGs, and it was a bunch of stuff that I'd actually never seen before. Like it was it was influential and just super fun, and it was I don't know, it, it, and it did set the tone. Like people, it still has a cult following. Like people. I don't know. You walk into a room with like 10 people and like one of them might know what the game was. But I bet a bunch of game developers, if you got 10 game developers in a room, probably half of them would know about Blade of Darkness. Like it was just a great game. Yeah, I guess I'm one of the the oddballs, but yeah. <laughs> or I guess not the oddballs. I'm in the the majority, but I've, I've, I've never heard of it, but it sounds wild. It sounds like a precursor to so, so many of the games that I've, I've heard of. I mean, I instantly thought about Doom. I instantly thought about like Skyrim after you mentioned that. I, I've been, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds it like. sounds like the kind of game I would still want to pick up right now. Yeah. Even though it's 20 years old. Yeah, I don't know if modern PCs could could handle it because modern PCs are so far advanced than they were in 2001. <laughs> uh, maybe you can find it in like some sort of an emulator or something. Um, I would kill for like an HD remake of it, honestly. They wouldn't even have to update the you know the controls and whatnot. Because again, it was super janky. Like it was it was glitchy as shit, but it was so wildly ambitious for the time. That yeah, I I mean, I don't think they ever did a sequel. I, I don't think it sold well. I don't think it was anything anywhere near more than like a like a cult classic, honestly. But yeah. If my experience holds true, there's a developer out there that's ported that. Like I'm yeah, sure that it's I've, somewhere out there. I feel yeah. pretty confident that if this like just from how you described this game, I I feel quite confident that there's a community of people that have kept this game alive into current times. <laughs> oh yeah, like people who still play like uh, Star Wars Galaxies on like private servers and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> That'd be cool. I wonder if it's on like good old games or something. I might have to see if I can dig it up because I would love to play it again. Yeah, if you find it, let me know because I'll I want to play it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That sounds like fun. I'm going to. Yeah, Severance Blade of Darkness. Yeah, just a wild little title that should have gotten way more attention. It should have had way more players than it did, but just didn't happen for him. Just didn't land. Yeah, I feel like that was pretty common at that time in gaming history. Yeah, I mean, in the early 2000s, like, PC gaming was really kind of exploding at that time. Yeah. You know, multiplayer mm-hmm. was in full swing, and Definitely. there was almost like a like an oversaturation of games out there. I mean, I remember going to, to Best Buy or Fry's Electronics and there being like an entire like 20 foot long shelf, like four rows deep of, of just PC games and having no idea what to buy. Yeah. So, but yeah, taking a flyer on something like Severn's Blade of Darkness was, was really cool back in the day. It was just one of those kind of those hidden gems that like only you and your friends would know about at the time because nobody else, you know, was able to give it the, the time of day. Right. There was no subreddit to talk about it on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I I have a really interesting uh, gaming life um, and a lot of really formative games, right? Like, I I played an ungodly amount of the original StarCraft and Brood War. I played an absolutely ungodly amount of Halo and Halo 2. Hey, man, save this for the deep cut. That's not what we're talking about. (laughs) We're not talking about Halo or StarCraft, arguably the two most popular games of all time. Right, Uh, right. What we are going to talk about is another hugely formative game for my playstyle and my thought process now as an adult, and that is a Xbox 360 launch title uh, called <laughs> Viva Pinata, which <laughs> bum, 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 is a wild game. Yeah. Uh, it's. I know if you look at the 50 FPSs that I play now, and you wouldn't have guessed that Viva Pinata <laughs> would have led me there. But yeah, it was extremely formative. It wasn't like childhood formative, right? Like I was. I grew up playing Super Nintendo and GameCube and stuff. But mm-hmm. when the 360 came out, uh, I was playing Call of Duty 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah, World War II version. Uh, and and this game like kind of caught my eye for the same reason that Stardew Valley caught my eye these days and that is like it was such a breath of fresh air and such a chill game so you play as a first person like omniscient gardener i guess is a good way to say that okay uh where basically you have a garden a plot of land that you have to tend it starts out as like a craggly weed infested just plot of land on an island but you maintain it plant some things all this stuff and you eventually start to attract pinatas which are like wild animal versions right there's like porcupine style pinatas they're like pokemon where yeah, it's just like, like a regular garden yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly 
you've you've got this Pokemon attraction aspect to building up your garden. So you're really incentivized to like make a good garden. But on top of that, this like collector aspect where when you attract someone or a new pinata, it comes to live in your garden. And if you plant the right plants and food and you can build little shelters for them, they'll stay in your garden permanently and they'll become like a resident. If you get two of them together, you can go through a mini game with them, which is like like Mario Party style mini game where it it's a breeding mechanic. So you when you get two of them together and you play as like one of these pinatas in a mini game, go through a maze or solve some puzzle or do something, and then make it to the end. And hey, you've bred these pinatas, and now you have like a little baby pinata that you have to raise in your garden. Can you please tell me that this is going to take a dark turn, and the goal of the game is to like, like raise and harvest these harvest. pinatas and destroy okay. them and take whatever's inside of them? <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> You'd think. Right? Um, no, that's that part is for the fanfics. Uh, the the actual dark turn here is not that dark. It's that uh, you know pinatas don't get along. So if you have a fox style pinata and chicken styles pinatas, uh, that f- fox is going to eat those chicken babies. There's crepe paper and confetti everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you have to like protect the baby pinatas, and and wild pinatas will come in and and try and like kill or or take off with other pinatas that they're trying to eat. Like it's very wild animal-esque but couple that with this gardening aspect you've got this collectathon pokemon style aspect you've got like a, a shelter building and mini games it, it kind of has like a lot of the games that i play now like stardew valley and pokemon and you know things like that it has all of those aspects but it's all aimed at like one singular goal and that is to like revitalize this island with joy and 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 happiness is ostensibly the the premise it's got story involved with it but i'm not going to go into that because nobody cares at all about it (laughs) Um, you know it's like like monkey ball right you got this evil guy who like destroyed the island and you have to like rebuild it monkey ball is another one that was hugely formative but i'm not talking about that either (laughs) uh yeah so it was it it has a lot of the same aspects of a lot of games that i play now um but all in one and all focused on one singular goal. It It's a rare game, which should surprise nobody who's ever played it because it is so <laughs> well thought out and every aspect is like meticulously crafted. Um, it's a one. It was graphically gorgeous. It's a really charming and beautiful game. And I think it actually won some awards at launch for, for its graphics. It's very well constructed and it's such a super chill time. It's the first game that I ever 100%ed. At the same time, I was playing Call of Duty 2 competitively like i like in tournaments all of that stuff and then modern warfare came out and viva pinata is what i would do after i was done like quote competing i would switch over to viva pinata and like decompress and chill chill out (laughs) yeah Oh, okay i can see that yeah and it was incredibly wonderful it sounds like it's got sort of like almost like an animal crossing sort of vibe and and feel to it where it's like one of those games like end of the day go home like plant some trees talk to your your villagers decompress chill achieve goals but in like a a more passive and more much more relaxing way that's exactly how it was it's very stardew valley animal crossing mixed with pokemon dude animal crossing new horizons is like how i got through quarantine so especially especially in the beginning man like (laughs) right yeah uh, yeah so if it's anything like that you should definitely pick up viva pinata it is a weird game don't get me wrong, it's very eccentric because obviously you're raising and trying to capture pinatas, but uh, it's so it, it's a rare game. I don't I don't need to say anything else. It is meticulously thought through all the way around. It's great. It's 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 wild because I think we're all gonna have a game that neither of the other two have played uh, unless you've played <laughs> Viva Pinata DT. Um, because no, I I mean I knew of it. I I bought a 360 at launch and I was aware of it, but it just never interested me. Now it kind of does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds interesting. Uh, okay, so mine circling back to the PC games and well, you mentioned what was it, two thousand one for Blade of Darkness? Yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. just before that, in ninety eight, there was this Korean MMORPG that got ported over to the US um, and released commercially. Uh, so it was, I think it was re- released originally in ninety six. And it is still running today. <laughs> so Nexus Kingdom of the Kingdom of the Winds. Most people just called it Nexus or Nexus TK. 
um, I say called it, but because it's still running today, it's as of 2021, it is the longest running graphic MMORPG having been in service over 24 years. This is straight from Wikipedia. Holy shit. Yeah. It has over 21 million registers, registered users worldwide. Oh my gosh. Which is <laughs> absolutely nuts. And if you guys saw this game, I don't know if you've ever, like, I know I've, I've talked to both of you at some point about it, but I know you, uh, you haven't played it. But if you've, if you've seen this game, it's, it's very influenced by uh, Korean, uh, the, uh, the equivalent of Korean manga, um, like 2D side scroller with, you know, elements that still pop. Um, so you get sort of a 3D feel from this 2D environment. You got your typical up, down, left, right movement. Uh, but it's an MMO. You you start out, you get to choose one of four uh, sort of paths your character can go down. You can be a warrior, a rogue, a mage, or a poet. Um, and then you a poet, That's yeah, unusual. a poet, which is is sort of functions as a healer. Okay, hmm. so kind of like your your sort of bardish type character, kind of sort of in a roundabout way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yep. So you're in a, and the, the dynamic of those four works perfectly for the play style and what you're sort of trying to accomplish. Because mages have, as you'd expect, range attacks, and you could you would kind of circle really quickly and cycle through either through with your keys or with a with a mouse, depending on your play style. And poets sort of function the same way, being distance, but they were focused obviously on healing. So you'd have your tank characters, which were your warriors, that would go into the middle of the the nonsense, and they'd be able to attack all at once in four directions, and then they'd take a lot of the damage. Whereas rogues, as you'd expect, also sort of bounced around, and they could do a thing called ambush, where you attack from the front. And then you cast this spell ambush and you jump to the back and you could attack again. And this happened in a matter of seconds. But anyway, those are the like base mechanics. Super interesting. Yeah. So this game has been going on for like decades now, you said? Decades. And the reason for that is that it's much more community based. Okay. So there was that big, I think World of Warcraft came out maybe five years later after that. Um, and a lot of people got into the MMO scene from that game. Um. But the reason that I think they succeed and uh, have so much longevity is because of that community aspect. Um, and Nexus is no different. So there, are, you, when you start, you pick um, one of three kingdoms that are loosely, I think, based off of ancient Korean kingdoms. But um, I never actually did the research into the the background. Maybe I will now. But um, you pick three kingdom, one of three kingdoms, and then there are all sorts of organizations and structures. So there are guilds. There are armies that you can join and rank up in, but it's all handled by the players themselves. So some mechanics exist, and the developers sort of retroactively went back in and built in the mechanics for these guilds. But you could create your own new guild, say like Rangers. You you could map out particular areas, uh, you know, on the map of of uh, this particular section of the world, and then mm-hmm. you know eventually they built in the mechanics for Rangers to have unique spells if you're a member of that guild interesting yeah man yeah so it's a game that was fully informed by the players that played it and was built up steadily over time and it got to the point where people capped out the max um, experience that you could get and they'd had to tack on new levels and new spells and new abilities for the the characters it's really fascinating game do you know if it's still being like worked on are they still adding new experience and spells and stuff from what i uh from what i saw last i haven't played in a while i tried to download it um I mean, they patched the most recent patch. It's just massive. Like, <laughs> there's so much that they've added to it. But um, yeah, they they regularly are updating it. From from what I see. Holy shit, man! Like the same original developer and everything. I don't know if it's the original developer. I think. Okay. I heard something while I was playing, you know, years and years back that you know somebody had taken over, but it was one of the people that had first started originally working on the game. But wow, that that might be incorrect. It might be the same same developer that started working on it from the start. That's killer, man. Could you imagine, like, one game? You you get into game development in your twenties, and you work on one game, and then you retire. <laughs> yeah, it's it's right. It's yeah, wild, insane. But yeah, I mean, it was it was largely formative for me because I learned about the game and started playing it because of my grandmother. Badass grandma alert! Hello. Yeah, seriously, man. What 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 up? Yeah, she's awesome. She started playing like right. Like in the beta, in the U.S. beta, so it was in Korea for a while, and they when they moved it over to the U.S., she started playing immediately, and just became one of the like core players that helped inform the the GM about the bugs that were happening, um, you know, things that the 
that they were seeing uh they'd all get together and then that the developer sort of made all of those core group of players archons or like gods in this game where they could walk through walls and had spells no one else had <laughs> badass which is cool like it's just to me it's like this really fascinating and awesome thing where a developer was working with players and you know shaping the game around their feedback but also kind of kicked it back to them so that they can enjoy it even more but yeah i mean you could have multiple characters obviously and like and log in and over time crew interactive took over and uh sort of built in more traditional mechanics that you see today with like a online store where you could buy like things like mounts and accessories for your characters and that typical sort of uh mmo thing that you you see every now and then now but um yeah, I mean, it was hugely formative because my grandma played it, my cousin uh, played it, uh, my my aunt played it. Like everybody uh, on my mom's side of the family, other than my my parents, really. It's really cool, man. What was it like growing up in a family that played video? Because I'm the I'm the only person in my whole family that plays video games, and I like what what was it like to have like family members that played a video game. I don't know. I think I think part of it was that a part of the good thing was that my parents were never like, yeah, don't play video games. It's bad for you. They were kind of like, yeah, if it's going to occupy your time and make you happy, then right on. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it, for me, it was it was awesome because my grandma lived on the other side of the country. And so, you know, when I was on the west side of the U.S., she was on, you know, in Ohio on the east and I could hang out with her like every night or every other night, you know. We'd go on yeah, like rad. missions together, and it would it was it was great, yeah. So it was wildly formative for me because I still love playing RPGs, um, but then also, yeah, I mean, there's that family component where um, video games have been definitely something that's always tied my my family together, at least particular members of my family. I grew up in a family too, where my parents are both gamers. Um, one of my dad's first jobs was working at golf and stuff as like a arcade cabinet technician. Nice. My parents were young when they had me, so. Uh, they were 20 when they had me, and they had me in the early 80s. So, like, you know, my, my mom loved gaming, too. So, for me, whenever we'd get, like, a new console or a game, it was just as much for them as it was for the kids, <laughs> which is kind of awesome. I mean, it sucked having, like, four people in the house and having to wait your turn to play a game. Yeah. But at the same time, like like what Alex said, it was never, like, a taboo thing. It wasn't like, you know, turn off the Nintendo and, and go outside and do your homework. Like, those things are going to rot your brain. It was like... Hey, what are you playing? And when's my turn? Like, nice. yeah, like my dad is a hundred percent the reason why I love video games as much as I do. Like, I have early, early childhood memories of him taking me out to like the donut shop around the corner and like playing, like pumping quarters in a Donkey Kong and holding me up so I could play it. Dude, hell yeah! He he is an avid, avid PC gamer. He plays PC games all the time, and I'm always asking him like, "What are you playing right now? Like, what's cool? Like, what should I be playing?" And he's like, hold up, I'll share it with you on Steam. And I'm like, oh shit, right on. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's super, super cool. And we're going to see that more as, you know, obviously our generation are not having kids. Alex is a child and, and one on the way. And uh, he's going to be one of those parents too, where like he's going to be sharing those video game experiences with them and whatnot. So <laughs> it's cool. But I, I'm sorry, Seth, that you, you grew up in a house where you were the only gamer. It's... I grew up in a house where like initially it was very much like don't don't play so much uh, super mario brothers it'll rot your brain and then as i got into the like n64 era my dad was basically like well he's not doing drugs so it's probably fine <laughs> <laughs> so this is all right it, he, yeah it's it switched from like this is bad until uh i started getting old enough to ask my dad what he was doing at you know 10 and 15 and he was like, well, uh, I was doing some really dumb shit. So as long as you're not doing that, it's probably fine. <laughs> it's probably okay if you're like shooting aliens. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was jumping off of chimneys and smoking. Just don't do that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it worked out fine. It's fine. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Plus, I mean, like at the end of the day, the good thing is, especially with like online gaming, you've you've got community there yeah. regardless. I mean, obviously you've got your friends, but like, I feel really uh, thankful that I got to have like family involved in that. Like my cousin, the one that I just talked about that played all, he, I mean, he was better than me at Nexus. <laughs> like he knew how to grind in a game when I was, I'm two years younger than him. So I was figuring out how to play it. And he was just like, all right, I'm moving on. And he's always been that way. Like, I don't know. Everybody's got that, that friend or, or relative that just knows. Like I, I taught him how to play guitar hero. The next time I saw him the summer after he could play through the fire and flames on expert without blinking. Oh like, shit. Nice. I just, he figures it out so quickly. So 
but yeah, I mean, I was always the uh, Luigi to Mario, the Sub Zero to Scorpion when we were when we were growing up playing. Hmm. Um, I think if if not family, like having just close friends in that community is super important. I think that's why it made it so formative for me because now the games that I play are not very similar to Nexus, but every now and then I get nostalgic and I want to go back and play it. Or when I pick up an uh, an RPG, I get that that sort of vibe again. They're usually wildly different because not a lot of people make new games like that game, but um, you still get some of the same mechanics and just, I don't know, brings me back. Yeah. I think the real takeaway for me in, in thinking about this episode and thinking about games that were formative was it, it the games themselves weren't so much the formative aspect as games as a, a, a method of making and keeping friends. Yeah, man. Like mm-hmm. the the communities that came up around gaming are why they were so important. And like things like Viva Pinata are really formative to how I play games now. But the reason other games like Halo or Call of Duty or Starcraft or whatever are so popular and important is because they have these communities around them of other people that you can interact with or have guilds and like have lifelong friends like i was a huge introvert as a kid surprise (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and and a lot of my closest friends growing up and a lot of my close friends now were made exclusively through video games like i have a lot of friends that I would call extremely close and and very dear friends that I've never actually met in real life. Yeah. That whole formative aspect when we when I was thinking about this is like every time I think I think about a game that's formative I think about who I was playing it with. Yeah. It's never it's never really been a a thing that I was like oh this was my like favorite solo game. Yeah, exactly. Cuz I I have a couple of those where I just enjoyed playing them by myself but mostly like all of those honorable mentions that I would have like like uh uh uh, Legend of Dragoon was a huge one for me on the PlayStation One. Yeah, you yeah. Know, four four disc, uh, similar to the Final Fantasy sort of style of play. But I I would play that game for hours and hours and hours every weekend with my best friend Abdu in elementary school, and that went on for like years. You know, every now and then we would dip into N sixty four and whatnot, but we would play Legend of Dragoon like. Two, th- two times through which took you know weeks um or or uh, archon the game like i think it was originally made for atari but it got ported into the nintendo and i i remember that was one of the first games that i played alongside like contra with with my cousin when i was little or halo obviously with with folks in my high school days and then when i got into college and a little bit after that it started i started playing uh destiny you know yeah yeah and that was with like, with with Seth and Brian, and it's always been some group of friends or family that I've been playing with. Yeah, it's it's wild how that like facilitates the community involved. It's like uh, what it it's it's the third thing, which is well, maybe we'll talk about this at some day. But one of my big relationship philosophies is that people need a a third thing. You and and another person have a third thing to focus on that facilitates communication between you two and a thing to do and all of that stuff. And I think that video games are a third thing for friends. Yeah, no, it's something that you can have in common, something you can actively take part in and talk about and shit as well. Like I started junior high in a brand new school district. I didn't know anybody. And one of the things that helped me start building friendships and I actually ended up building like a circle of friends was Final Fantasy 7 which is not some obscure title nobody's ever heard of but at the same time (laughs) it was really formative for me so I'm gonna throw it out there as like a honorable mention but yeah yeah no it was me taking like game pro magazines to like class to like read because I would always finish my work way fucking early (laughs) and somebody be like what are you reading like I'm like a fucking game pro like Final Fantasy 7 is coming out this Christmas and I'm really hoping I get a PlayStation so I can play it like, oh shit, like I have a PlayStation, like I'm looking forward to Final Fantasy VII as well. And then the king comes out and you sit down with kids at lunch and it's like, what level's your cloud? Like, what level's your Barrett? Like, what what point have you gotten to? Don't spoil anything, because that was like Eris getting killed. Sorry, spoiler alert. Was like one of the big run-ins I ever had with spoilers in video games. <laughs> and finding out accidentally by having a conversation with friends that Eris gets killed by Sephiroth was like one of those like defining video game moments like 
what's what that's what a spoiler is like, <laughs> like god damn i'm fucking heartbroken i hate everything yeah <laughs> yeah it's just yeah uh, just building friendships like early on in life and like like you said oftentimes those friendships carry on through your entire life yeah just based on playing video games and being part of a, a, a like a community like that sense of camaraderie is just amazing i think it's also during sort of wild turns that happen in, in your life too uh, my example of that is when I moved from Colorado to Arizona when I was like uh, 13 mm-hmm. and I, I got in to Arizona feeling miserable because I knew nobody. This is like the night of getting there. We, we moved in the middle of the heat, which if you're not familiar, the, the Valley heat in Arizona is in the summer, it's can get up to the 120 degrees. Yeah. I would, I would classify it as unkind and aggressive, <laughs> uncomfortable and uninhabitable to some degree we all mostly grew up in arizona we've all kind of gone to separate states now but yeah growing up in arizona is a very unique experience because like alex said like 120 degrees in the summertime in arizona is not a traditional summertime for kids who are out of school like you're not going out into the woods and like building forts and shit it is so fucking hot that you are literally either swimming or staying inside and playing video games yeah 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 like my dad's an athlete and and my parents both would always encourage me like get outside and play you know they wouldn't discourage me from playing video games if i wanted to but they were always like yeah go go get into some mischief go go like go outside and play sports or something but like as soon as we got to arizona i was like oh well you can't really go outside without shoes on and you might get heat uh, stroke (laughs) don't stay outside for longer than like 15 minutes yeah and uh make sure you bring this camelback and this water bottle and (laughs) anyway so it was like, yeah, I'm going to play in, play inside and, and play Halo with my cousin uh, who's in Ohio still. And the day we moved, I was like so bummed. It was my birthday, though. And I ended up getting uh, a mic for my Xbox. Nice. I got a new controller and I got Xbox Live for Halo 2. And <laughs> I that was how I, I made the transition in this really like kind of tough time in my young adult life. Yeah. Uh, or my transition into being a teenager okay uh and that's how i ended up making friends it's like we did the same thing with with halo 2 and it uh when i moved to a new school in arizona it was like oh you play you know you play mlg or do you play team hardcore i think it was at the time and what level are you have you (laughs) you know are you 42 and team slayer whatever i've learned now that i have that birthday to thank for the years later experience i had of uh, something that sticks out in my brain so hard is we were at Comic-Con. We were walking around one of the floors. There was a retro gaming room full of like arcade cabinets and PlayStation 1s and Xboxes and stuff. And they happened to be having like a little LAN tournament for Halo 2. It was like oh, 16 no. Xboxes or something all wired together with CRTs. And me, Alex, and my girlfriend, Nicole, were walking around. And uh, we we're just like, oh, this is cool. Like, let's play some classic games. Walk around this room a little bit, and Alex is like, you know what? I'll be right back. I'm going to go win this tournament. And he sits down. Like, I, I remember looking at Nicole and like, he, did he just say he's going to go win this tournament? Okay, yeah, sure. Three seconds go by. He sits down, pops into this Halo 2 tournament, just fucking pub stomps his entire group, gets up, and we, like, go and have lunch. Gets up, and he's like, yeah, I won. It's cool. Let's go move on. Let's have lunch. You hungry? Like, no. Like, we need to talk about what the fuck I just watched because... I need to know. And now I know that it's from that birthday. I have that birthday to thank for the the, yeah. the yeah. path that you were sent on. Guys, I played a lot of Halo back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot. A lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was Halo 2 Lockout starting with BR, so of course, yeah. Yeah, like be right back. I remember that. That was fun. I, man. Like that made my whole Comic-Con just that like staring, like slack-jawed at, at Alex <laughs> deciding to... De- completely destroy some kids tournament oh uh, yeah that was that was a good time man man i miss i miss comic-con me too uh, yeah i can't wait i can't wait to to go back get vaccinated god damn it get vaccinated folks yeah i want to go hang out with my friends again we're hitting a point now and it's scaring the shit out of me and i'm sorry because this is wildly off topic where we're looking like we're hitting like critical mass for people who who actually want to get the vaccine mm. like vaccination numbers are actually slowing down for some reason Go get fucking vaccinated, please. Yeah, that's that's a stressful thought. Yeah, it's at the you're at the we're at the point where there are doses, but yeah, it's yeah. slowing down. We're at like 
it's like a third of of the U.S. population is vaccinated now, or something, which yeah. is great. As of uh, as of yesterday, I I am two weeks out from my second dose. I am Ooh. as immunized and as immune as you can possibly be, and I'm very happy about it. I'm gonna go to a fucking movie theater. Hell yeah! And I'm gonna sit in the fucking back row because I don't trust anybody out there to not be fully vaccinated too. <laughs> <laughs> but holy shit! Like, how many times can we stress this? Like, it's not painful. There's no microchip. It's not a conspiracy. You're literally saving your life and the lives of the people around you. Just go and get like two seconds of discomfort and live your life fully without dying from a fucking silly fucking virus. Like, come on. Or threatening other people's lives. Yeah. All right, let's talk about something happy. Let's shift over to uh, today's uh, would-be sponsor. How does that sound? Yes, let's do that. I want to hear about it. Okay, today's sponsor, I, I've chosen this one. And again, these aren't actual sponsors. Um, stay tuned to the end of the podcast where we will dole out our uh, contact information so you can actually sponsor us if you want to. <laughs> but uh, today's would-be kind of pretend sponsor has been chosen by me, and it's the Molotov Cocktail IPA from Evil Twin Brewing, which is based out of Stratford, Connecticut. I love this IPA. Mm. I fully endorse this IPA. Uh, <laughs> the first time I ever had it, was from a buddy of mine who lives in the Carolinas. He is a private guy, so I'm not going to say his actual name, but online, I've known him for like 15 years now, he goes by the pseudonym of Zudonim. Hey. <laughs> like spelled out phonetically like in Chinese. It's amazing. <laughs> but uh, I have a big group of friends that I play with online. We play games and stuff, getting back to the topic at hand. And uh, one thing we've gotten into the habit of doing, because we're all spread out across the country and beyond, is uh, every holiday season we'll do a, a beer exchange, like a secret Santa where everybody will draw names out of a hat, and whoever's name you pull, you either have beer delivered to them via a service of like Craft Shack or something like that, or you can actually um, place an order at their local um, liquor store, and they can go pick it up. Oh, rad. Anyway, uh, Zoo, being the asshole he is, he's like, <laughs> I got a DT. DT's in the other side of the country. I'm going to just fuck his life up by setting up a bunch of beers that he can never get on the west side of the country <laughs> and just mess with his head. And one of them had to be Molotov Cocktail. And I fell in love with this IPA. It's it's 12%. Ooh. I've been drinking it through this podcast, so I feel like I'm slurring my words just a little bit because it's fucking powerful. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're doing great, man. You're doing great. Yeah, thank, thank you, man. I'm, I'm maintaining. Yeah. <laughs> it's 12% alcohol. It's just in a single can. Uh, it's an Imperial Pale Ale. And it's brewed with like mango and orange flavors, mm. which sounds like it would be tropical, but the end result tastes super malty. Hmm. So it's like a heavy malty IPA, and it's just super, super tasty. I love it. Um, I have a local liquor store here in my neighborhood, here just south of Denver. I'm in the Denver area. And uh, every time I go in there, like the owners must just be huge craft beer fans, because every time I go in, they've got something new that I've always wanted to try and have never had an opportunity to. Or something I love that is not always readily available where I'm at regionally. And they happen to have just gotten a full shipment in of Molotov cocktail. So I bought half of their stock because <laughs> it is, is one of my yes. top five IPAs ever. I must have spent like 60 bucks just on like four packs of beers while I was in there. And it, it's it's super tasty. Um, it's rich. It's malty. It is a one and done beer because that 12% just kicks your ass immediately. <laughs> but it is fantastic. Uh, yeah, Evil Twin Brewing. Uh, like I said, they're based out of Stratford, Connecticut. They actually distribute out of Brooklyn. So a lot of people think the Evil Twin is actually based in Brooklyn, New York, but that's not the case. But if you're on the East Coast, you shouldn't have a difficult time finding it. Um, if you're able to order it online or find it regionally on like the west side of the U.S., I would not hesitate to at least pick up a four-pack because it is – I mean, I'm a beer snob. That's something I'm actually known for being. Yep. And this IPA is probably one of my top five IPAs ever. It is excellent. Wow. Yeah, man. I, I was really jazzed when I heard that the uh, the bar around the corner, the new place, opened up. They've got specialty beer and wine, and uh, I'm going to have to look out for that Molotov cocktail. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to send you some. <laughs> I will definitely appreciate that. Because <laughs> I, I, yeah, I bet you've never had it. Nope. You cannot get it. You're still in Arizona. I'm in Colorado. Uh, I get lucky. Every once in a while, because there's so many beer aficionados and so many beer enthusiasts that you find weird shit. Like a couple of weeks ago, the same liquor store I was talking about, I actually found Hetty Topper, which is another beer from New England. Uh, super rare IPA because it's um, it's perishable. Hmm. Like they have actually have hop resin in the bottom of the can, which can go bad. So it's difficult and expensive to ship because you have to keep it refrigerated the entire time. 
because it will go bad. And it's it's from Vermont, I think, actually. So to find that beer, having traveled from Vermont all the way to Colorado, is super, super like exciting and crazy. Rare, yeah. Um, th- yeah, this place has also had Ghost in the Machine, which is my top IPA ever. I love that beer. It's so good. Yeah, they always find super rare stuff. But uh, I always love sharing new beers that I love. I'm going to send you some. I think they might actually have some. Once we're done here, I might... I'm not going to drive because 12% alcohol. <laughs> I might walk over there, see if I can get a four-pack, and I, I will mail you some. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, um, man. Yeah. I'll see if there's anything wild in the uh, corner store we can trade. Cool, man. Sounds good to me. Seth is more of a hard liquor person. Otherwise, I'd offer to send you some too. But <laughs> Yeah, no, but, yeah. I, I appreciate it. I know, I know you'd send me some if I wanted it. Yeah, you know I'd do that for you. You know I love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got me. <laughs> we gotta, I gotta go make a trip. Tri- make a trip to Stranny's. Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Once the world opens back up and people aren't about to die, I would, I would fucking wait in line so long to bottle some Stranahan's. Mm, yes. Yeah. Stranahan's is excellent. I actually, we're getting again off topic, but it's <laughs> it's that type of episode. We're gonna once again blame the evil twin Molotov cocktail IPA for this tangent, <laughs> but uh, Stranahan is another excellent distillery here in Colorado. And it's actually like 10 minutes from me, which is amazing. Oh. <laughs> and when I first moved here last year, one of the first things that I did with Alex's parents, because they live out here, was go to Stranahan's and try the uh, the uh, Snowflake whiskey yeah. that they have there. Yeah, they call it uh, Snowflake because they, they distill a new batch every year, but it's always different. Like no batches are ever the same. It's a different recipe. They kind of start from scratch. And it's one of the few types of alcohol that people will still wait in line for for days. Yeah like pup tents and like lawn chairs to try and get a bottle of it because it's so fucking good. Yeah. But they also do a limited batch. So Yeah. That unfortunately is my downfall is is fancy boy whiskeys. Yep. Pappy is my jam, dude. Anything less than Pappy 10 is like ugh. And I I I don't think you're a major PD Scotch guy like me, but you say Pappy 10, uh I there there is two things that for me are better. And one of them is the Brook Lottie uh, Black Art, mm-hmm. which is a lot like the Snowflake, where they do limited releases every year, and each batch is pretty different. They're all they're numbered weird, right? You've got like Black Art like six point one and Black Art like five point eight, which it it correlates to the series that they're running. But that is probably one of the better whiskeys I've ever had in my whole life, and people will also wait for days for that as well. Seth made a gift of. Stranahan's for me one time when my daughter was born and it was Diamond Peak Stranahan's with a Uber Eats gift card. Excellent. Now, anytime any friend or family member has a child, I'm getting them exactly what Seth got me because <laughs> it was literally the the perfect thing that you need at that time in your yeah, life. <laughs> I thought so too. Yeah. You need, well, you need great whiskey and, and, and an Uber Eats gift card. So thank you to, to, to you for that. Uh, do you guys want to hear about the deep cut? Yeah, let's do a deep cut. I would love to hear about the deep cut. Okay. So I've got the deep cut this week. Uh, the, the, the channel that I want to pimp out is uh, <laughs> J- Joshua Wiseman, who's uh who's a chef on YouTube. Now this is a guy who quit his, uh, his his chef job. He quit his cooking job. He's working at one of the uh, premier sushi restaurants in Austin uh, that the name escapes me at the moment, but he does an episode on it, so you can go and check that out, where he recently went back and worked a 24-hour, full 24-hour shift um, doing every job in the house wow. uh, at his former restaurant. So that's everything from like putting the, you know, uh, taking the garbage out to line cook to prep to everything, you know? So... Yeah, anybody who's worked in the restaurant industry, that's really fucking intense. Yeah, yeah. he did seven to seven, so that's wild. That's like the job of like ten people. Wow. Yeah, but dude's a machine. Yeah, but his his uh, he's got like a lot of humor in the videos that he normally creates. It's just him in his kitchen, kind of making recipes and telling you uh, sort of techniques for cooking good food. Um, I, I I've just been on this kick of cooking channels on youtube uh <laughs> recently i don't know if it's just because i'm hungry in the middle of the day or what but uh <laughs> yeah uh, go figure but joshua wiseman is it's great he does he has a, a few different series one's called but cheaper so you can you can take a like a really you know fancy recipe like you know an indian curry of some kind that would normally cost quite a bit for all of the various ingredients and he's like here's how you make you know butter chicken and rice for like three dollars per serving or and then have you know extra servings left over or 
another series called But Better, where he takes, um, you know, like a, a fast food staple that everybody knows, like the, I think he recently did the McGriddle from McDonald's, and he made his own version at home, you know, uh, with the, uh, the, the press on top and all. So, I mean, he goes really deep into what you need as far as ingredients and the techniques uh, and making sure that you wash your rice. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's got good, great, good humor, great editing. The videos are fairly straightforward and, and simple. And yeah, he's just a very earnest guy. So um, I started watching recently, but I know that, uh, you know, before quarantine, he didn't have too many, too many followers. I think he was still in the tens of thousands. So that's quite a bit, but um, now he's up towards 3.4, 3.5 million so it's just exploded his channel. Good for him. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, he he totally deserves it. I I had actually found Joshua Wiseman a little while ago, like like fall of twenty twenty area, um, because of his but better series. I I like, I think the YouTube algorithm recommended one of his videos to me, and I, I've been a sub ever since. Like it, it, his his content's really wonderful. I'm gonna go subscribe tonight. Definitely worth a watch. Yeah. So we have a listener question. If you guys want to round out the show with a really good listener question, are you guys ready for it? Yes, absolutely. Are you sure? It's a fucking big one. This is we. It's, 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 this might end the podcast and our friendships. I don't know. Are you sure? <laughs> oh shit! This is exactly the correct kind of listener question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. This one comes to us from James. Thank you, James. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna thank him just yet. <laughs> are you guys? Are you guys sure? Are you guys? You guys? Sure? Now you're. Yeah, you're making me hesitate here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, which Ninja Turtle is the best? Oh, no. <laughs> Donatello. It's Donatello. <laughs> okay, wait. Uh, no, I was going to say, guys, we are all going to say it all at once. And now we've... No. I'm sorry. It's Donatello. No, no, no. This is, this is good because I think we're all going to disagree. I think we're going to learn something about each other too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Seth. Seth, make your case. Donatello? Donatello. It's pretty simple. Um, there's three aspects that make him the best. One, uh, purple. Two, <laughs> scientist. Three, staff. That's it. He's the best. That's it. Okay. Wow. All right. Uh, I, <laughs> my answer is the best. So, Alex, you can go next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know your answer, and your answer is wrong. <laughs> my answer is Leonardo. Obviously, Leonardo's the best. Cliche. Yeah, whatever. He's the best, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. He's he's the leader. He's he's the he's the guy that makes the tough decisions. He's the one that keeps everybody else under wraps. When everybody, if when the other turtles need to be checked, he's the guy that has to do it. Because he's a when 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 Master Splinter isn't around, he is the pseudo big brother father figure. Also, he's got he's got twin katanas, guys. Twin katanas. Another cliche. <laughs> Another cliche. I'll take twin katanas any day over a bow staff. Or size, which I'm pretty sure is what DT is about to say. Yes, thank you for spoiling it. My, my answer, <laughs> the correct answer, the only answer, is Raphael. Because first of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow Seth's guidelines for criteria: one, red; <laughs> two, fucking size, which can break motherfucking katanas; mm. and three, he is the best written and most like nuanced turtle. Like anytime, every time there's like a comic book or a movie that comes out. The character that the the writer is most interested in is always Raphael. Like, look at like the 1990 movie. Like, he's even even tag team who wrote like the the final credits rap at the end of that movie. They're like Raphael. He's the leader of the group, and it it's not fucking true. But it's like that's the best turtle. That's the one that everybody latches onto. He's the emotional core of the turtles. Yeah. He's the wild card. He's the wild card. I'll give you he's that. He's the most real he's the most realistic of all the turtles because if you're a teenager and you're stuck living in the fucking sewer, you're not gonna be like a happy go lucky fucking surfer dude who loves pizza. You're gonna be like an angry motherfucker who just wants to like pick a fight and like get that aggression out. Like he is by far the best written and most interesting turtle. I would I would give you interesting. He's he's also the best in, in Turtles four, Turtles in Time on SNES and I'll fight any motherfucker who disagrees. He is the moodiest. He is the moodiest of all of the turtles. <laughs> Definitely the moodiest. If you need a conflict in your party, it's going to come from Raphael. Yeah, sure. If you, if you have yeah. a problem that you need to solve because somebody on your party did something, it's Raphael went out on his own, tried to do the Lone Ranger thing, screwed it all <laughs> up for everybody, and now here comes Leonardo to save the day. 
I mean, I'm not going to argue that if they were a D&D party, Raphael would not be the murder hobo. But, <laughs> he would totally but be yeah. the murder hobo. But yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it, that's, that's kind of how the group breaks down, man, is you, Raphael is uh, the troublemaker, uh, but, but Donatello is the one who solves all the problems. Guys, okay, I mean, like, it's the, well, let's circle back to circle back to Nexus for a second here. You've got the rogue, <laughs> you got the rogue and Raphael. <laughs> you got the the mage that's Donatello. You've got the the bard poet character that's Mikey, and then you've got your warrior, which is Leonardo. Well, I mean, the four Ninja Turtles are like the the most like the four archetypes are like the most widely used in pretty much all media, any type of storytelling. But Raphael's the best. Yeah, can't agree with you there, but. Uh... <laughs> Look, here, here's one thing I'll concede to you. Uh, Raphael is by far and easily uh, the most red, but Donatello's the best. <laughs> <laughs> is the most red. Okay, all right, the original theme song. Leonardo leads. All right, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Donatello does machines. That's dope. I'm a fucking nerd. I'm down. Raphael is cool. <laughs> Even the fucking theme song goes out of its way to label Raphael as cool. And rude. <laughs> yeah, and rude. It, well, yeah, sure, but but cool. <laughs> <laughs> he does have sweet size. Now, he has had the most screen time to develop. Yeah, you can say he's the best written character, but because he's the most written character. Because he's the most interesting. Like, that's what readers latch onto. He's the one with the most nuance. I disagree. I would argue Donatello's the most interesting, but nobody can write him because nobody's smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a mystery there with Donatello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely the most interesting. Leonardo can have some brooding moments. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's tough to be the, the field commander. <laughs> sure. That's sure. true. That's why he rails against Raphael, because, you know, they've got, uh, they've got one, one to shake things up and one to keep everybody responsible. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we've all decided that Raphael's the best turtle. And uh, thank you for listening to Space Castle this week. <laughs> You're just going to outro the show just so that you can have the last word? No. Look, here's the thing I'm, I'm most worried about is DT also edits the podcast. So uh, who knows what's going to come out on the other end of this? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to do like voice modulation and shit in, in Premiere Pro. So <laughs> <laughs> it's really not going to be a debate in the final cut. It's just going to be you, you guys saying Raphael, which strangely sounds a little bit like me, but slightly different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder if we had a, if we had a fourth person in here, if they would have said Michelangelo. It's super interesting that everybody has a different favorite Ninja Turtle, and I think it also kind of corresponds with their personality a little bit, yeah, totally. or who they would aspire to be. Yeah. Actually, I don't want to go down that road, because I don't know what picking Raphael as my favorite turtle says about me, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a, another episode, because I've actually, I actually have a theory that your favorite Ninja Turtle says quite a lot about who you are as a person. Oh, maybe we should do an episode on that and make me feel horrible about myself. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's official. Uh, thank you, James. I'm I'm coming out saying it. Thanks, James, for helping us settle that that Donatello is in fact the best. Uh, you can find us at <laughs> at Space Castle Pod on Twitter. Uh, if you have questions, send them into Space Castle Podcast at Gmail dot com. I'm running so that I can't get cut off because Donatello is the best. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that concludes this uh, episode of Space Castle. Uh, Raphael's the best turtle. I've been DT. I've been Alex. Leonardo's the best. And I have been the great Donatello. Bye, love you. And he snuck in the bye, love you before we can continue arguing, you son of a bitch. <laughs>